from PRX. Studio 360. Hi, it's Kurt with a special podcast segment. I'm up on a tie wire, playing by life and the funeral pyre. Putting on a show for you to see. The summer I turned 18, this song was on the radio all the time, and I loved it. It was one of Leon Russell's biggest hits. I've continued to be charmed by his mix of country and blues and gospel and rock and roll. You might be more familiar with other people's performances of some of his songs, like Joe Cocker's rendition of The Letter, which Leon wrote for him. Oh, the lonely days are gone, I'm coming home. Leon Russell died last week. He was 74. With his devilish smirk and the long gray mane of hair that he always had, even when he was young and until he was very old, he was a -a one-of-a-kind character and so American. Back then, in 1974, the great documentarian Les Blank started following him around on tour, filming him on stage and off. Even though that film was finished in the 70s, it didn't get released for more than 30 years, until last year. It's called A Poem is a Naked Person, and I talked with Leon Russell when it came out. Welcome to Studio 360. Thank you. So, this new documentary about you, as I said, is not new. What's your version of why it took so long to to get released? Well, I hate new stuff. (laughs) So I decided I would just let it get older and perhaps it'd be better. Uh Aha. It's a vintage thing. Absolutely. But he he made this and you just – you didn't want it out there 40 years ago? Well, actually, uh, Les Blank is a wonderful documentarian. I I kind of felt like it had a lot of – coverage that didn't really have to do with me, you know, a lot of sunsets. and There was that, and snakes and frogs and fish and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I had a lot of that stuff. It's okay. It's it's a good... Uh, his son tells me he thought that it perhaps was his greatest uh, movie. He's made some good ones, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I assume you've watched it anew lately. Yeah, it was it was interesting to see. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I, I can imagine I, to to open up this this literal time capsule that has been buried for forty one years and look back at yourself uh, in the early seventies. What what was that like? Well, I was cute. <laughs> you were I very say? cute. I don't know. I, I, it's it's a weird thing, really. Uh, I'm kind of glad that it's coming out now. I think it's probably better that it comes out now than it would have been if it had come out at that time. And and as I understand it, you and your business partner at the time had approached uh, Les Blank, who was this great and somewhat eccentric uh, documentary filmmaker who had made a lot of uh, movies about music. Uh, you approached him to make it. What was, what was the idea back then? You're giving me the benefit of the doubt that we knew what we were doing, and that's not always the case, but he, he was hired to make the film. And did you have an idea in mind? I mean, there had been, you know, there had been the famous Rolling Stones movie. There had been other movies about uh, rock and roll people. Did you have a, a vision in mind of what you thought it might be? Uh, I really didn't, actually. I, You know, when you hire artists to do 
certain things. My theory is to just let them do what they do. I, I didn't want to get in there and get in the way. And when you told him, nah, I don't want this to be put out, how, how did he react at the time? Well, he didn't kill me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure he was very excited about it. But. I expect not. Um, I didn't know at the time, 40 years ago, and I read, but I read that since birth, you, you've been a little bit paralyzed on the right side of your body. Is that right? Yeah, I had a birth injury, an upper vertebrae, that made me slightly paralyzed on the right side, a different growth rate a little bit. And on thinking about it, I was happy that it happened because it gave me a very strong sense of a duality. It, it, my left side was much stronger than uh-huh. my right side. Uh-huh. It wasn't as smart, uh, <laughs> but uh, it just gave me a, an outlook into this plane that we live on. And I think if I hadn't had that, I'd probably be selling cars in Paris, Texas. And just and as you play music, and let alone dance around on stage as you did, how, how did you compensate? for that, uh, you know, bifurcation in your body? Well, I thought about it all the time. When I was walking, I'd be about three seconds ahead of the steps, so I wouldn't look like I was limping too bad. And uh, that made its way into my playing as well. I always had to decide what I was going to play and then decide if I could play it. I had to do all that in front of the actual real time of actually playing. It certainly would, I would think, serve to make you very conscious of playing in a way that lot, most most musicians don't have to be. They can they just go with the flow and do it. Yeah, they don't have to think about it. Uh, I wasn't always conscious at that time, but uh, whenever I was, I was thinking about what the next step was going to be. Yeah, it looks like there was a lot of consciousness alteration uh, watching the film at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So you spent the first part of your professional career as one of the primo session musicians in L.A. while rock and roll was being invented. You even arranged the the horns for the Rolling Stones on a song on Let It Bleed. So what did you make of Mick Jagger? There was a guy called Kim Fowley out in Los Angeles who used to do that dance that Mick Jagger is famous for. I'm sure that's where Mick Jagger got it. Really? was from Kim Fowley because Kim was over in in London right before the Rolling Stones uh, hit. And I can't help but think that uh, Jagger saw him because it looked just exactly the same. In, in 1970, you collaborated with Joe Cocker, and it was the moment you really broke big. I want to listen to one of the hits uh, that you wrote for him, Delta Lady. Listening to that song and especially watching the documentary, I was really struck all over again at the way country and blues and rock and gospel all were bleeding into one another, in in your music anyway. And in the film, you see what a great motley multicultural scene it was. Long hairs with square white bluegrass players and black people and young people and old people. 
It's easy to look at the film and think, wow, country music, that could have gone a different way after the 1970s rather than the way it did. As you see how music has evolved in the last 40 years, what do you think? Well, it seems to have a mind of its own. You never know what music is going to do. Uh, I myself like the old style, you know, a little bit less uh, pickup beds and beer and tailgating. I like more uh, of the old-time country music. I am with you on that. Uh, A a few years ago, you collaborated with Elton John on an album called The Union, which was a hit. I'm going to play one of the songs from that album. That's the song, If It Wasn't For Bad, off of the album The Union. So how did that project come about? He was working with uh, Billy Joel, and he wanted me to write some songs for them. And I said, well, what kind of songs do you want? And he said, up-tempo, baby. (laughs) And then he called me back in about uh, 15 minutes. He said, well, I think we ought to do a record together. So I said, well, sure. I always thought somebody would come back and get me. (laughs) but uh, Elton was the only one that did. Did it surprise you that he was the one? Uh, I don't know. I'm surprised that anybody remembered me. (laughs) And and you made The Union, and uh, it was commercially successful, critically successful. That must have felt pretty great, as you say, when you felt like you had been left alone for 20-odd, 30 years. Well, it was great. Uh, I had just gotten out of the hospital and had a brain pan operation. It was kind of hard for me. I found myself falling asleep, (laughs) but I was about an hour late for the first session. And the time I got there, Elton had written five songs. (laughs) So he's he's ready to write, and I'm ready to write. And and that was a great experience because— He'd say, well, here, here's an idea, write this, and I'd write it in five or ten minutes and hand it to him, and then he'd take five or ten minutes and write the music, and it was the way I like to work, actually, very fast. When when you uh, sit down to write a song, how do you go about that? What do you start with? Well, I mean, for many years, I was sitting in the front seat of my bus, I had my computer, but I'd just sit and write, and I ended up with probably a thousand pages of lyrics, all different kinds of lyrics. I wasn't writing anything in particular. The thing that I learned when I was doing that, I always had so much trouble writing. I had studios in my houses for 45 years, and I'd get in that studio and I'd sit there and wait for inspiration, which was not forthcoming. (laughs) And I got kind of sick of that, and I said, I've got to figure out how to do this, so I'm be like an accountant. I go to work and I do it and it gets done. And it's not, you know, I don't have to depend on non-existent inspiration. So I got a book called How to Write the Popular Song, I think it was called. And it gave me some tips about how to do it. And uh, I studied it and that's the way I do it today. It was quite a helpful 
publications. Really? So Leon Russell, after 40 or 50 years uh, writing popular songs and being uh, a rock star and all the rest, uh, a book called How to Write a Popular Song actually was useful. Oh, yeah. I may have the title wrong, but... <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. I often think of the life I live it's a wonder I ain't dead Ringing and gambling Staying out all night I'm Living in a fool You can now stream A Poem is a Naked Person on Amazon. We'll be back with our regular broadcast show on Thursday. I'll catch you then. Someday my child Gonna catch up with you Drinking and gambling Staying